God of the blazing bush, as your servant like Moses, direct our gaze toward the path to which you call us. Hear our praise and receive our offering as we pray, sing, listen, speak, and discern. Holy God, turn us aside so that we may go out into the world and continue our worship of you. God, who guides us, we confess that like the teacher in Ecclesiastes, we are often running after the wind and trying to hold on to something that isn't really there. We look to the world's pleasures and power rather than the needs of the most vulnerable among us. We seek our own gain over the cries of the marginalized and oppressed. We ignore the systems and structures of the world that cause harm to others when they benefit us. Forgive us for our short-sightedness. We recall the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is God's faithfulness who renews us day by day, offers us forgiveness moment by moment, and calls our name with every breath. May we know God's forgiveness and restoration for our lives, and may we seek to repair and restore the world to God's intention with justice, mercy, and love. May the stories of our ancestors continue to remind us we do not have to be perfect. May our ancestors inspire us to stick to your ways, O God, and turn back when we notice we have gone astray. May our ancestors also inspire us to learn from their mistakes so we may not repeat them. We know you are doing a new thing, O God, something we cannot fathom, but in turning to the scriptures, we are reminded to be awake and ready, to trust when we feel the Spirit moving, and be prepared to step out in faith. May we not forget those who have walked before us, but may we trust you in moving forward on a new path. In the name of Christ we pray.
The witness of scripture comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of a bush. Moses looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Berizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations.
Last week, worship began as it always does with our acolytes coming forward to light the candles on the communion table. What was slightly unusual about last week was that one of the acolytes was barefooted. While the reason for the lack of shoes might have been tied more to comfort than theology, the posture was exactly right. Anticipating today's story we just heard from Exodus, the acolyte approached the altar, approached holy ground sans shoes, which was God's instruction to Moses in this wondrous story that is mysterious and sobering, revealing, and even humorous. These four words descriptive of what seems to be part of any sacred encounter. This reading from Exodus is often referred to as the call of Moses, and it certainly is that. And the story is much more than that. Because wherever the holy is present, there is always more happening than we can ever understand. To better appreciate the story of Moses near Mount Horeb, we remember some of the events prior to this one that are also holy ground moments. We recall that thanks to Joseph, our Hebrew ancestors found Egypt to be sanctuary during the seven-year drought. As Exodus opens, Joseph has died, and the Hebrew people are doing more than surviving. They are thriving. However, a new Pharaoh is on the throne, whose demeanor is ruled by fear rather than compassion, while the Hebrew population is increasing and Pharaoh thinks there is no way to limit their growth, he initiates a program that, like all such moves, are horrifying on two fronts. First, the Hebrews are enslaved. Pharaoh's brick quotas ever increasing to solidify the Egyptian economy at the expense of forced labor, production valued more than people, made easier when such people are labeled and objectified as foreigners. And the second front moves from program to pogrom as Pharaoh orders the deaths of all Hebrew infant boys. However, not everyone obeyed Pharaoh's dictum. There were midwives who refused to do as Pharaoh commanded. God's power, holy ground, was in the compassion of midwives going against the royal decree. Undeterred, Pharaoh shifted methods, although the madness was still the same. The Hebrew boys were to be done away with in the Nile. What a bitter irony. The river of life transformed into a watershed of tears by the power of fearful arrogance. Yet here again, 
and at no small risk to themselves, the, there were those who would not be a part of Pharaoh's fear and profiteering. When Moses is born, his mother keeps him hidden as long as she can until one day she weaves a little ark of a basket and then places the child among the bulrushes at the river's edge. Miriam, Moses' sister, keeps watch from a distance as Pharaoh's daughter comes to the river and fishes out Moses for her own. At that point, Miriam appears and offers to find a nursemaid for the baby. Now Miriam is one smart sister, for when Pharaoh's daughter approves of that plan, she gets their mother to be the nursemaid and to attend to Moses. Holy ground, the courageous workings of these women to thwart paranoid hatred. So, Moses, with his own mother's nourishment coursing through his life, grew up in the palace, was well-educated, grew up in the lap of luxury. Moses could have forgotten his origins. Privilege can be powerful. Privilege can shape perspective so profoundly that compassion becomes an afterthought rather than a way of being. But Moses remembered. And Egyptian power did not distort sacred power. Moses went out to see the enslaved Hebrews, and his heart went out to them. So much so, that one day he reacted decisively when witnessing an Egyptian taskmaster punishing a Hebrew slave. With the taskmaster dispatched, Moses then had to flee for his own life, which landed him in the far country of Midian, where one day, while at a well, Moses intervened when some ruffians were harassing Jethro's seven daughters, one of whom took a shine to Moses and married him. For all the luxury he grew up in, the die had been cast. Moses' heart is holy ground for those who are hurting. Whether it is the enslaved who are his own people or seven daughters from a foreign country who are being bullied. Moses stands in the long line of those who have stood up in the face of oppression or sat down at a lunch counter or refused to give up their seat on a bus. And it would be in the wilderness beyond Midian, where Moses discovers where God stands. So as the third chapter of Exodus opens, our story says Moses, now employed by his father-in-law as a shepherd, takes his flock beyond the wilderness to a place called Horeb, the mountain of God. It's a critical piece of theology more than geography. What do we imagine is beyond the wilderness? 
God is there, says Exodus. And we remember the wonderful poetry of the psalmist who wrote, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Again, this is more than location. This is God's wondrous work of vocation. This God who calls a man who's on the most wanted list running from the most powerful nation in the world. It's good news for those who think they are too far gone for God's good purposes to work through their lives. But it may be bad news for those who want God to just leave them alone. God, as the story tells, sees and hears differently from Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who would like for everyone to believe he has ultimate power, which, of course, the clever midwives back in Egypt know is a bogus claim. Holy ground, not in the thrones of power, but in the throes of compassion, including even Moses out there beyond the wilderness. There are so many wondrous possibilities with this story, which, like the parables Jesus would tell later, are meant to loosen the ground for the holy rather than ground in a certain belief about the holy. So we note that God initiates the whole conversation. Moses is doing nothing more than caring for the sheep. Moses is not looking for God. Yet, God comes calling to Moses. Now, it might seem odd that God, who needed no help in getting the whole creation going, now asks for help in creation's ongoing. But that seems to be the design. For to be made in the image of God is to be given power with the freedom to embody God's ways and the freedom to ignore God's ways. God comes to Moses. It was not the first time, nor would it be the last time that God comes to creation. It happened in the garden. It happened to Abraham and Sarah. It happened to David. It happened to Mary. It happens to the whole blessed world that God makes holy by coming wherever and however God wants to come, even if it is beyond the wilderness. In the comedy that is this story, there is this spirited dialogue between God and Moses who puts forth every logical explanation for why he is a bad choice for doing God's bidding. God calls Moses to speak truth to power, which is holy ground, by the way. And Moses reminds God that when it comes to public speaking, the local Toastmasters Club rejected his membership. Moses also reminds God that his credibility with Pharaoh is rather suspect. And that when it comes to theology, he has barely cracked the binding on any reading about God. Moses even tries to 
pass the job off to his brother Aaron. But God will have none of it. Moses is the man. And to all his objections, God essentially says, I will be with you. Which may be the least detailed, yet the most important of all promises God could have made to Moses. Well, this is a deeply human part of the story. Because everyone at some point along the way feels insufficient to the task whatever the task is. And Moses discovers that his real limits are not limiting God. And this deep and wondrous truth would play itself out years later when Jesus would call his band of helpers, people who were marginalized, ostracized, villainized, who are given a new name. We remember their name, disciples. And the story also reveals something critical about God. In a scrawny little scrub bush, God comes to Moses to speak up for a people Pharaoh is making scrawny and trying to brush off the face of the earth. It's a reminder that there is nothing so insignificant that God does not notice, no one so diminished for whom God does not care. Exodus makes clear that God does not listen to the pontifications of a bombastic Pharaoh. Instead, God hears the cries of the hurting. God hears their misery. God hears their suffering. And God does something about it by enlisting Moses as an ally. Moses learned that as he had been cared for in his vulnerability and as he cared for those who were vulnerable, so it is with God. Stephen Shoemaker says it this way, There is no secret in the Bible whose side God is on in the historical equation of tyrant, captive, oppressor, oppressed, master, slave, dominator dominated, God is freedom to the bound, comfort to the bruised, reproof to the tyrant, strength to the weak. So the question is not whose side God is on, but whose side are we on? And then there's this, and it is a subtle but essential part of the story. Exodus says Moses noticed and stepped aside to look. He paid attention. Now, to be sure, we could certainly argue who wouldn't pay attention to a bush that burns but does not burn up, especially when that bush starts talking to us. And yet, we can't help but ponder how much glory we miss in the living of our days, how many times we don't step aside for the holy, being hard-pressed by all that commands our attention. Barbara Brown Taylor has written, most of us move so quickly 
that our surroundings become no more than the blurred scenery we fly past on our way to somewhere else. We pay attention. We pay attention to the speedometer, the wristwatch, the cell phone, the list of things to do. The bush required Moses to take a time out, at least if he wanted to do more than glance at it. What did Moses learn when he took the time, when he attended to the holy in his midst? First and foremost, Moses learned exactly that, that God is not some distant deity, but a compassionate presence who by coming to this earth hallows every last grain of sand and calls us to do the same. He learned that God is not some distant deity, but a compassionate presence who cares that every single person who walks on God's good earth honors and cares for the neighbor and for the stranger. And if we are ever going to be well, and we certainly can be well, we will learn that holy ground is not confined to some particular place, but is present in the altar that is God's entire world. Which is to say that there is no place absent the gracious presence of God. And that, of course, is why our barefooted acolyte got it exactly right.